0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, all of God's children said, Amen. So here we are on this fifth Sunday of Lent as we continue to learn more about the the Lord's Prayer. And we come to that petition about leading us not into temptation, but delivering us from evil. I just want to point out something that I shared within the last week or two as we were talking, and specifically around the Our Daily Bread. The next word after the Our Daily Bread petition is and, three-letter word. That's in, give us this day Our Daily Bread and forgive us as we forgive. So there is that connection between Our Daily Bread and forgiveness. And then after that, we hear the word and... Again, here as we get to this petition end, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I know we probably don't pay attention much to that little three-letter word that has the way of connecting ideas and events and people and places together. But this, there is a connection between daily bread, forgiveness, and asking God to lead us. With this petition, we ask God might lead might keep us from temptation, deliver us from evil. We need to remind ourselves too, I think, as we come to this part that temptation is within our human condition. We are all tempted. Sometimes the temptation is simply to not do anything at all when God is calling us to do something. We feel this struggle, we feel the wrestling with our thoughts, with our desires to do what we know is wrong or to not do what we know is right. We have a hunger for the thing that that tempts us. So we remind ourselves again of the seven deadly sins, the lust and greed, gluttony, indifference, anger, envy, and pride. And before we commit any of these acts, these sinful acts, the first thing that happens is we have a thought of them before we do them. Some temptations are minor ones. They don't involve any kind of moral compass when we think of temptations, we often talk about losing weight. We might end up seeing the foods that we love and are tempted by every time when we decide we're going to go on a diet. For some, it's chocolate. For others, maybe it's ice cream. It's, there's always that temptation of the food that you love, no matter what you want. You want to have it, even if you are on a diet. This type of temptation, as I said, doesn't involve a moral wrong, but there is something that draws you in that you then end up feeling less healthy, right? And you feel bad about after the fact. The temptations we have to worry about, again, are those that lead us into those moral wrongs, those temptations which damage and hurt other people and can damage and hurt us ourselves. We need to remind ourselves, again, that temptation is a universal part of the human condition. It's not whether we will be tempted, because we will be. The question is how we will respond to it. We all experience it in our lives. We're tempted to overconsume, to gossip, to not care about people, to want more. We're tempted by the need to be affirmed. We're, We're tempted to want what isn't ours. We hear in Genesis 3 the story of Adam and Eve and, of course, the serpent, which was more crafty than any wild animal that the Lord had even made. We may never have experienced a talking snake before, except maybe at one of the theme parks. But we have often heard that voice, haven't we? The voice of the serpent in our minds whispering to us, tempting us. Whether you believe the tempter is an actual spiritual being or simply the personification of some dark side that you have, there's no denying that we wrestle with it. Think about how you've been tempted. It's usually a whisper. An argument within yourself drawing you in, calling you to do something, enticing you like Adam and Eve to fall prey to the temptation. It's important for us to remember, too, that that Jesus resisted temptations by Satan as we read them in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus was fully divine, but he was also fully human. He, too, felt and knew the temptations that were being offered to him and around him. I think because we think it's Jesus that, you know, it was probably easy for him to resist. But again, remind yourself that he had a human side. He wrestled with what was being dangled in front of him by Satan. He was alone in the wilderness, fasting, praying 40 days, 40 nights. So certainly he was hungry. He was tired. And then he hears the voice, if you are the son of God and you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. Jesus says, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan then takes him to the highest point of the temple saying, throw yourself down. If you are the son of God, you'll be saved. And again, Jesus says, don't test the Lord, your God. And finally, Satan shows him the kingdoms of the world. If you bow down to me, all of this can be yours. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Have you ever thought about how temptations happen? I mean, it's not like the devil shows up in the middle of your living room in his red suit with a pitchfork and smoke and fire all around him. I mean, that's only in the movies. But in real life, the, Satan is that voice in your head, whispering, arguing, rationalizing, and seeking to lure you in to do what you know you probably shouldn't be doing in the first place. Think about what Peter says In our scripture today, like a roaring lion, your adversary prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in your faith. To resist temptation, Paul encourages us to put on that whole armor of God so that we are well equipped for what is not if, but when we will be tempted. We know that temptation is inevitable, but giving into it is not. By God's grace, we can follow God's lead and go away from that temptation. As we recognize the battles that we will face, let's take a look again at the prayer. I know you've been thinking this because I've thought it at times too. How many times have you prayed this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and thought to yourself, why would God not lead us into temptation?" I mean, why would God even lead us into temptation? That doesn't make any sense, right? Why do we need God to pray for God to not lead us that way? If you read James 1, it sounds like the early followers were asking similar questions about this not leading us. James says, so God does not tempt us to do what is wrong. God wants to encourage us to do what's right. So if God leads us to do what's right and does not lead us to do what's wrong, then what sense does it make the pray lead us not into temptation? In his book, Adam Hamilton suggests that years ago in all of his study, he couldn't remember the author, but he read that the problem in the prayer is not the prayer, it's not the petition, it's that it's missing punctuation. He suggests that there should be a comma after lead us. I'm suggesting there should be another comma There should be another comma after temptation. So let me read it again with a definitive pause after those points where the commas should be, okay? Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That changes it, doesn't it? When you add those two commas in those two places, it's a different way of hearing what we pray every week. Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those two commas change the way we understand this part of the prayer because the commas then emphasize leading us and delivering us. Think of it this way. Lead us not into temptation as the tempter, or we ourselves might lead, but deliver us from evil. In using the commas, we're asking God to lead, to deliver. Think about where you hear the petitions again to lead, for asking God to lead us. How about the 23rd Psalm? Lead us in the paths of righteousness. Lead us beside the still waters. How about in hymns? Precious Lord, take my hand lead me, lead me on, let me stand. As Hamilton was writing this book and studying and putting this all together, he decided he wanted to help his congregation get that sense of God leading as they said the prayer together. He intentionally asked them to pause in those same two places that I paused in. He had, as they came to that time, he led them to say, first, lead us. And there was a pause. Not into t- temptation. And then another pause. But deliver us from evil. Can you imagine what would happen if we decided we wanted to try and do that and had a room full of visitors, let's say on Easter Sunday, and so said, we're going to try this. And they didn't know we were going to pause after lead us or after temptation. you imagine the the awkward silence as they stopped praying or they continued praying while we stopped. But he made it clear that in helping his congregation understand that, he was driving home the point about God leading. I mean, the point here in this prayer is about our life of faith, asking God to lead us. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. To be a disciple, we need to be a follower of his Because he gives us that invitation. Come and follow me. If any would be my disciples, they must take up their cross and follow me. To call Jesus Lord is to call him sovereign king and ruler, leader over our life. And to be a disciple is to be a follower seeking to follow him in the best way that we can in our lives. What does it mean for God to lead us? How do we tune our hearts to follow God, to build faithful habits, to submit ourselves to God's leading in everything we say and do? We know that temptation is a powerful pull to do what harms us or harms others. And if we do it, it discredits our witness and integrity as a follower of Christ. It can influence others around us than to do harm to other people. It is a Lord to do what will separate us from God and keep us from doing God's will. Jesus calls us to not only pray, lead us, but deliver us. That word for deliver in Greek has the same root as our English word, rush. So the petition in our prayer is a call to God to rush to us, to rescue us, to deliver us, to to snatch us out of the hands of the evil one. In both the Old and New Testaments, we find the images of God shepherding his people. And part of the role of the shepherd is to lead animals away away to safety. We're asking God in the Lord's Prayer to shepherd us, to lead us, protect us from harm. In our scripture from Peter, he was speaking to the faithful who were suffering. And the devil was himself personified as the source of that suffering. Again, we come to the theme of what I've been sharing before throughout the the series, praying and laboring, praying and working. We're inviting God to lead us so that we don't follow the voice of the tempter and that he can deliver us from evil. We pray in this way so that as we pray and after, we can then do the work we're called to do in the world. I've said before, prayer is not about I, me, and mine. It's about our, us. We, all of us. Paul writes about us being ripe for the devil's tricks. And in our world today, we fall for those tricks all the time. How many times do you get a spam email or a phone call? Press one to talk to a representative. Or you click on the link in the email. I know how many times I've done that and have to go through all the virus software all over again just to get it out of there. The tricks are everywhere, not just in that way, but in the world. In this prayer, Jesus calls us to pray for ourselves and also for our society, our nation, and our world. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus knew our struggles with temptation. He understood the whispers of the evil one who tried to derail his own ministry. And he knew his followers would suffer those same struggles. He knew society in the world would hear the call of those temptations as well. So we need this prayer personally as we seek to listen and follow the voice of God's Spirit, not the whispers of all of the serpents of the world. And the church needs this prayer too. As God's people, we pray that we may not be deceived, but focus our walk on following Christ. I would challenge you today to consider how and and when you've been tempted in your life. How did that turn out? Did you succumb to the temptation? Or were you able to bypass it? Listen to a different voice. I would also challenge you to read from Ephesians chapter 6 about the whole armor of God. Think about the pieces that Paul's talking about. Which part are you having trouble with? The helmet, the belt, the breastplate, the sword, the sandals in walking. What are you having trouble with? What piece of armor do you keep forgetting? As we pray this prayer calling for God to lead us, we're also called to work and labor for the kingdom. And the only way to do that and fight against temptation is to wear the whole armor of God. As we pray this prayer, we're asking God, again, to lead us, deliver us, so that we then can go and do the work that we are called to do. Meditate on temptation today. Read Ephesians 6. Try and understand how to put on the whole armor of God every day. Is it easy? No. We might sometimes look like David when he put on the armor before somebody said he ought to go fight Goliath, and it just wasn't fitting him well. Sometimes that's us. Our armor doesn't fit us well. Maybe that's the problem. We're using someone else's armor. We need to use the whole armor of God. Think about temptation this week, and think about it as we pray, as we pray that together later, and think about what you're really saying in that prayer when we get to this part. Amen.